This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. was a week before Christmas and the whole house seemed to be stirring. Welcome to another episode of DSC's Campfires. I'm Larry Weisson, and I'm so very proud to have been involved to have presented this now for, oh my gosh, I can't remember how many episodes, but I know we're uh, approaching 150 or more right now. So I want to take this opportunity before we start anything to wish everybody the very merriest and most blessed of Christmases. I know here around the Wysoon house, the week before Christmas gets pretty hectic. Uh, we start putting up Christmas decorations a little bit after Thanksgiving. You know, we, we don't try to rush it too much, but then we really try to enjoy the time that we have the Christmas trees and all the decorations up. And when you get right down to it, I think my wife, Marianne, is probably the one that does most of it. But this year, I happen to be home for just a little bit, and I was able to help with a few things. You know, normally the week before Christmas is just an absolutely fantastic time to be hunting, particularly down in the brush country of South Texas, or if you happen to live in Texas, where we do have the managed land permit, you can hunt mule deer that week before Christmas, and that's generally when the when the peak of that rut of the mule deer in Texas is going on, and 
This time, uh, talking about this year, I am going to be down in South Texas as this is being recorded actually a little bit before the uh, beginning of next week. I am going to be hunting down in the brush country of South Texas. I can't wait. Uh, it's, it's one of those areas as a wildlife biologist many, many years ago. Starting many, many years ago, I worked as a, as a wildlife biologist setting up wildlife management programs all over the southern third of Texas. During those years, I spent tremendous amounts of time in a helicopter doing game surveys, generally starting about the last week of August and doing the surveys on a daily basis almost until the beginning of hunting season, which was usually the first part of November. And then starting about oh, the first or so second week of of uh, January after having been to the DSC convention, which is usually always the first week of January, uh, I would start doing helicopter surveys again. And so uh, do those probably until about March. So I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in South Texas, even after I left the state and started doing private consulting work. Had so many different ranchers that I work with down there and, and uh, their hunting operations and their hunting operations very often included primarily their families or maybe a lease group. And then occasionally there were a few outfitters down there that I worked with as well, too. But so thrilled to be going back down to the brush country. I'm going to be hunting in Webb County, which is uh, where Laredo is located. We're going to be about four or five miles off the uh, Rio Grande, uh, so real close to the Mexico border. The rut down there traditionally, in going back and looking at when fawns were conceived through research of, of taking those animals and uh, doing a crown to uh, rump measurement to determine when that fawn was was uh, conceived, when you get right down to it over the last many, many, many years, going back, oh my gosh, now well over 50, 60 years, the peak breeding date in South Texas has been December 18th, December 18th. Now, yes, there are those being bred ahead of time, and certainly there are those being, brought, being bred later. And going back to traditionally, generally, we did not even really try to start hunting in South Texas until about, oh, about the 9th or 10th. The 9th or 10th generally was when the bucks really started roaming. And that was a great time to be out rattling. Now, this this go-around, certainly I'm going to have my rattling horns with me. And, and I know they're, they're antlers. They're not horns, but uh, we've called them rattling horns so many years here in Texas, particularly I have, that uh, I guess during that time frame, they actually do become rattling horns instead of rattling antlers. But going to get to spend some time down there with uh, Brett and Gary Anderson, uh, Andrews, who are very much involved with uh, TRHP Outdoors. The the property they have, they've been uh, working on now for about a year or so, and it sits in an area that traditionally has produced some really outstanding white-tailed deer, talking about antlers and body size as well, too. So I'm looking forward to being down there. And then, of course, it seems to be the case so very often that I'm really thrilled about. I'm going to be down there with uh, with Brandon Houston as well, too. Brandon has been on the podcast numerous times, and he helps me wherever he can. Thank him for all he does with uh, my podcast to make sure that it gets to uh, David Fox, who does the last little bit of putting things together, and then going on from there to uh, getting it on 
to uh, waypointtv.com and, and all the sources it goes to from there. And then also, of course, we are doing things on carbontv.com. Uh, we have that show there that's called A Sportsman's Life. I do the, the podcast there. I do a fair number of blogs there as well, too. And with that said, actually, in this particular entrance, instance, if you will. <laughs> i got to learn how to talk again, I guess. Uh, we'll be down doing some filming. Brandon is coming out with a new show called The Journey. And The Journey is all about wildlife conservation and probably as much, well, it is. It's a lot about him and his family, his son and daughter and and uh, the young son who I'm sure will become involved in, in later here in a few years as well, too. But uh, it's a journey of uh, learning as much as he can about wildlife management because he is a wildlife biologist, a trained professional wildlife biologist. That, and he and I do the H3 Whitetail Solutions Consulting. And, um, but it's more about it's not only about whitetails, I guess I should say. It, it's it's about just about every game species and non-game species, but with more emphasis on habitat than anything else. But I'll kind of give you an idea. It's, it's called The Journey. It'll start in January on Carbon TV and... and uh, I'm I'm really excited about this because I'll continue my work doing with uh, Sportsman's Life and thank the world of those two guys that I work with there. Of course, Brandon's involved there now as well, too. So going to have all kinds of show options coming up there on Carbon TV. And of course, we'll have the podcast there and I have the, the blogs there as well, too. So. Uh, but we're filming for that show and filming for Sportsman's Life. And hopefully those white-tailed deer down in the brush country will cooperate to, to rattling horns. And we'll be able to rattle in at least uh, maybe, if nothing else, some old mature bucks that, that may need to be removed. They're, most people consider management bucks. But uh, really, really excited. I, I used to spend a lot of time in the, you know, all over South Texas and had several places there that I hunted Oh my gosh, every opportunity I had there in the Laredo area and, and uh, rattled up porcelain lots of different whitetail bucks. And my deal was always there in the, in the brush country. Uh, I had access to a lot of ranches to hunt, but as the biologist who was setting up the management program, my goal was always to try to shoot just a mature deer and very seldom, uh, actually never when you get right down to it, did I try to kill the biggest antlered buck. I, I always thought that you know if the landowner or the hunting group is is doing all they can those guys were the ones who deserved and and should be the ones to take any big bucks that we tried to harvest each year and as a result of all that over the years those ranches that I dealt with and the properties I dealt with down there we produced some unbelievably big white-tailed deer and including a lots of lots of Boone and Crockett bucks when you get right down to some of the ranches now that are producing some really big deer all along the South Texas areas, ranches that I set up under management programs now, anywhere from, oh my gosh, uh, going back almost 30 years. So the, some of the ranches now have been under management programs, good management programs of improving the habitat and and allowing those bucks to get some age on them before they try to put any hunt pressure on them for, 
for 30 years. Uh, the area that we're going to be in, I used to have a couple of ranches that I work with very closely. And so I have a pretty good idea of what those ranches are capable of. And the, the property that we're hunting has, uh, has not been hunted in the last several years for big bucks. It's been hunted for some does and some management bucks. And so I'm really, really anxious to, uh, to get down there and see what we come up with. And certainly, hopefully in the next episode, we'll be able to tell you about some of those adventures. Uh, I want to bring Brett and, and uh, Gary on both to uh, talk a little bit about some of the scents that we're using. Of course, Scent Guardian that we use to do away with just about any kind of scent there is, particularly uh, the human scent when uh, when we're hunting, but just spraying down our clothes and our equipment. It just It's always amazed me as to how you disappear. Over the years, I've, as a writer and as a serious, serious hunter, I've had the opportunity to try just about every kind of nonsense, if you will, product that was out there and continue to do so. And be very frank with you, I've not found anything that equals the uh, scent Guardian put out by TRHP Outdoors. And, and of course, if you're listening to this, still got some hunting going on. And I know you got some predator hunting coming on pretty for too very long. You may be doing that right now, but uh, get in touch with trhpoutdoors.com and and check out the, the scent Guardian thing. And uh, <laughs> once you try I got a feeling you're you're going to swear by it like I do. Actually, it, I liked it so much that when they approached me about putting my photograph on the uh, or photograph of me on the bottle, uh, I kind of thought about it a little bit and I said, you know what? There, I've never seen anything that works like this. So absolutely, you certainly have the right to do so. So anyway, a little bit of a commercial there, but if you're into hunting and I know that you are, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this, uh, find out more about Scent Guardian. And uh, in the next episode or two, we'll try to talk a little bit about that as well, too, with with Brett Andrews and, and uh, his dad, Gary, and uh, about how this came to be and, and what the importance of that particular product is when it comes to hunting and, and a few other things, including fishing and a bunch of other things. Like I said, that it removes unbelievable amounts of different kinds of scent. They're just almost any kind of scent there is. So that's going to be fun. Uh, the, I always tell people to play the wind. And I've learned with that particular product sprayed on, I don't have to play the wind like I always have in the past because deer don't smell you. But in the terms of rattling, you still play the wind because no matter when you start hitting those rattling horns together, if a buck responds, he's going to end up downwind of you. Uh, it's just his nature. Deer depend upon their ears, their their uh, their sight, but they live and die literally by their noses. And so, you know, you can you don't necessarily have to wear camo. You can wear camo if you like, and I do on occasions. But I love the red plaids. And, and just the, the muted gray, green, brown type colors, even solid colors, particularly when it's uh, when you got sunshine where you can kind of use the shade, you know, broken shade to, uh, to, to, to cover your outline or to change your basic outline to where it looks like you blend in with different things. But uh, if you want to wear camo, certainly do so. And uh 
You know, I did a lot of things with Realtree and going back years ago, worked with a product called Bushland, which was kind of the first product that really, in terms of camo, that really broke up the the human outline. Unfortunately, it it's, it never gained the popularity that, that I thought it should have, but uh, there's some really good camos out there. I did a lot of things with Realtree over the years and thank the world of the Realtree guys and did a few things with uh, Mossy Oak as well, too, and, and uh so occasionally I'll show up with wearing mossy oak and mossy oak other products, uh, some of the real tree products, which all of them are really, really good to be very frank with you uh, these days. And some of those camos are so similar that unless you see or know for sure, because you've been really looking at it, you almost have to look at the little word that's somewhere printed into the camo pattern to determine which one it really is. But where I'm going with that is that deer do see and they see movement more than anything else, I think, movement and shape. So if you can break up your outline or break up your your body, if you will, and then whenever you move, move very slowly, move very like it's an art slow orchestrated movement because deer pick up as do a lot of other wildlife, those quick rapid movements. And and if you start moving kind of jerky movements, they're, they're going to see you. Now hearing deer can hear quite well, but they're also in an environment where they hear cattle walking, they hear uh, limbs breaking, they, you know, all those kind of things. So they, they do hear and they do pay attention to what they hear, but they probably don't pay quite as much attention to, well, no, they don't pay as much attention to what they hear as opposed to uh to, to what they smell. Now, what they hear is metal clanks. You want to be real careful about uh, and squeaks, uh, those kind of things. I think deer pick up more so than than uh, than a few other things. And I, and I get tickled because I'm talking about hearing here. <clears throat> so very often, I'll hear people going, "He's coming! He's coming! You're so much better off, and if you just talk very softly and use your regular voice because that high-pitched sound those animals are going to pick up on, and it's something that they're not used to. Most of the animals that are out there in the wilds have a, particularly those in the woods, have a deeper voice, a, a deeper, gruffer voice. So uh, sometimes you're a whole lot better off just, just speaking in a very hushed tone rather than whispering. And uh, I get tickled with, with, with people that whisper. Uh, it's just, I don't know, for some reason, it, it's one of my little pet peeves that I try not to whisper. If, if I have to whisper, then rather than whisper, I'll use <laughs> hand side. And, and try to point something out or try to get somebody's attention and, and those kind of things. So, uh, you know, deer, for the most part these days, live close to people in almost everywhere except for some of those bigger ranches and those kind of things. So they hear people's voices all the time. And generally that does not really spook them that much. Now, as I mentioned, they depend upon their noses. And even when I'm rattling, I'm totally covered with the scent guardian and even my 
my rattling antlers are sprayed down, horns. Uh, I, I still pay attention to the wind because when a buck approaches a sound of rattling, he may come in from downwind or upwind rather, but I promise you he's going to end up downwind of you because he's going to depend upon his nose to determine exactly what, what's going on. So uh, a lot of times too, depending on, on, on the time of the year, but as we're hitting into the serious rut here, very, very close out here now where I'm heading in South Texas, we'll use some of the TRHP Outdoors uh, doe estrus scent to, and maybe a little bit of dominant buck type thing to to uh, just have them smell something when they come in. So it's it's not like a almost sterile kind of situation where, you know, a deer hears the sound and he comes running over there and he comes downwind and and yet he didn't smell anything, you know, and if, maybe if you haven't used scent garden, Guardian, he'll smell a person and he knows immediately what it's not quite right here. So when I set up, you've heard me say this so many times in the past, always set up so that you've got shooting lanes to the left and the right of directly downwind of you. If you're wearing scent guardian, you can shoot one downwind. If you're not using scent guardian, you better be able to shoot that deer before he gets directly downwind. That's the importance of having those, uh, those, those shooting lanes. Now, down there this time in the brush country, as I said, years ago, one of the first real bucks I rattled up, I'm talking about real bucks having of any kind of antler size, because where I grew up and hunted to start with for many years, we, we didn't have very many big bucks, simply because or didn't have many old bucks, because they were shot way too soon. They never got to had to reach maturity, simply because they didn't live that long. And But one of the first bucks I rattled up years ago, I was with Al Brothers. Now, those of you who know anything about deer management or quality deer or anything like that will recognize Al's name as, as a wildlife biologist, too. With a dear friend who passed away not very long ago, Murphy Ray, wrote uh, Producing Quality Whitetails, which was kind of the Bible for many, many years uh, that were used all over the North America and I guess anywhere else as far as trying to improve the quality of animals in terms of antlers or horns and the body weight and those kind of things. But one of the first times I really rattled up what I consider a really good deer, it was actually in the early part of October. The season hadn't opened. I was spending a day with Al, and he goes, let's go ride around a little bit. So we went out, and sure enough, we found a fresh scrape that had just been made. Now, I realized the rut in South Texas where we were occurred as I told you, the peak breeding date is December 18th. Now, the rut starts usually about the 9th or 10th, and the bucks start getting anxious. But And that's when they really when they come to horns. But when Al saw the uh, uh, fresh scrape, he said, Larry, he said, I've got rattling horns on the back of the Jeep. He said, let's, let's drive away. Let's walk back in here. And and sure enough, we went back in, and and uh, I hit the horns together a couple of times, and this buck comes charging in and this buck happened to be about a 155 160 class 10 point and even though he was uh well he was mature that was the thing that surprised me because i'd rattled up younger bucks earlier that that early but never a big mature buck but as we were visiting after the buck left and i kept him around with grunting and that kind of things for a little while and when buck finally walked away we got back to the jeep al was telling me he said larry said you 
you know, he said, you can rattle up whitetails almost any time from the time that you see the first scrape. When when they start actively scraping, he said, they'll come in with more maybe out of curiosity than anything else, but they do respond. So there, there are days when they respond. There are days when they don't respond. They're the most fascinating and the most aggravating of all game species as far as I'm concerned because of, of uh, how individual they are and individual they are in terms of when they respond to different things. So headed down there with my rattling horns intact and, and, uh, Oh, I am actually shooting on this particular trip. Of course, always shoot Hornady, but I've, I've been shooting a, a Remington 700 that was customized for me years ago by, um, by Bill Montoya. Bill was uh, then the regional supervisor for the southeastern sector of New Mexico Game Department. He went on to be the uh, director of the New Mexico Game Department and then later served on the commission as well, too. And, and has long been a good friend. Unfortunately, I don't get to see him as much as I'd like to and haven't seen him now in years, actually. And But we kind of keep up in touch through social media whenever we get the opportunity. But been shooting that rifle and it's topped with the Trigicon AccuPoint in uh, I think a two and a half to twelve and a half, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere along in that uh, category, and shooting 145 grain ELDX precision hunter loads from Hornady, just unbelievably accurate in terms of like one hole accuracy. And and I've been very fortunate. I've shot only a couple of deer with it this year, but uh, with that particular load, but I've shot several big hogs and those hogs have gone down very quickly. And I've done total necropsies on, of course, all the animals that I take. And the terminal, terminal performance it, is unbelievable as far as that bullet is concerned. I, I hear occasionally somebody says, ah, oh, it didn't expand, it didn't do this. And I'm often reminded of uh, an old gentleman by the name of Dick Dietz, who for years was the PR guy for Remington. And I'd, I'd be at the SHOT Show or the NRA Show, and I'd be visiting with Dick in the Remington booth. And somebody would come in, and, of course, they were Renton was big as far as the um, uh, lock bullet was concerned. And guys would come in and go, oh, my God, this lock bullet, it did this. It did this. It did that. And Dick would very patiently nod his head in, in acknowledgement of what they were saying. And no matter how much they were complaining about what you ought to be doing this, you ought to be doing that, Dick just go, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, kind of thing. And when they'd get finished with their little rant and rave, he says, well, did it kill the animal you were shooting at? And the guy go, well, of course he did. And then he they could go, well, why are you complaining? We build bullets <laughs> to humanely and quickly dispatch animals uh, from a hunting perspective. And uh, I've often remembered that in visiting with different people and, and in terms of occasionally I'll hear you go, well, the, the ELDX does this, 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 and I'm going, well, did it, did it kill the animal quickly and humanely? Well, yeah, it did. And then I go, well, why did you shoot at this animal? You know, kind of thing. If, well, if that was your goal, then to to put that animal down quickly and humanely, it has accomplished it. But of all, and I've been able to shoot the ELDX now in numerous, numerous 
guns. I'm talking about different calibers, different rounds, and also at different animals. And to me, I've had nothing but stellar performance out of the ELDX. And it makes no difference whether it was a uh, a lower uh, grain weight bullet or whether it was like a 212 and a 300 uh, uh, Remington Ultra uh, Mag kind of gun. So uh, actually, of all the bullets that I've ever shot, and I've, I've shot a lot of them over the years, it, it's one that I really, really keep going back to and and say keep going back to it and never left it since I've started. Other than I've, I've played around with their, uh, their old GMX, which now I think is a CX and and really really like that bullet as well too. But uh, so far I'm just having so much luck with the LDX. So I've got the CX loads for some of the guns that I shoot, and they shoot unbelievably accurate. But I still keep coming back to the uh, to the LDX, and if, I guess if I hunt in California or some of those states, maybe where you're not allowed to use any kind of lead type bullet, I will certainly be shooting that that CX. But um, got a new rifle, and uh, I bought it very recently. Uh, several friends of mine have been shooting the Mossberg Patriots. Now, from a uh, perspective of an absolutely beautiful rifle, because uh, I like pretty wood, and thankfully some of those do have pretty wood, and I have one coming that actually it's at the it's at the uh, gun dealer now, uh, gun shop now. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to pick it up. And because it's in a different town where I had it shipped uh, close to uh, San Angelo where I hunt for a little bit later on. I'll pick it up when I'm back to San Angelo to hunt our lease there out west of town away. And uh, But the rifle I bought yesterday is a uh, 270. It it, it, uh, it is an adjustable trigger. I've looked at it. I've played around with the trigger a little bit before hitting towards South Texas. I just put a... Uh, Trigicon here on scope on it. And thankfully my range, my little place is on the way south. And so here just a little bit when I start hitting south, I am going to take that rifle and a box of Hornady Precision Hunter and that 145 grain ELDX and for that, that 270. And uh, I got a feeling it's going to shoot extremely accurate as well. Uh, I know that Luke Clayton, who I do a lot of stuff with Luke and I do another podcast called uh, Campfires with Luke and Larry for Sporting Classics, also a weekly podcast, by the way. And uh, of course, he and I do a weekly radio show on his Luke Layton Outdoors. And then also uh, he and I co-host with Jeff Rice and, and uh, Brandon, the uh, a Sportsman's Life on uh, the Carbon TV very recently, I was up uh, north. Luke lives up close to Dallas. Had an opportunity to spend a, an afternoon with, with Luke and uh, shooting a Mossberg Patriot that he got, a 6.5 Creedmoor, that was unbelievably accurate. Uh, again, shooting Hornady's, uh, I think that's 142 maybe. I can't remember exactly. Uh, Precision Hunter ELDX, but uh, something in that neighborhood. And 
shot again about three quarters of an inch group uh, fresh out of the box to two two side in shots, and then it just put uh, several groups together, three shot groups at, at less than an inch and a half, and and some of them we knew were us when we pulled the trigger because we were calling the shot and go, oops, I pulled the trigger. It's going to be a little bit to the right or a little bit high, a little bit low, and sure enough, we looked through the spot scope, and you know there it would be, but it was still falling within that inch and a half group at 100 yards, which most of us uh, that are serious hunters, that's how close we're going to try to get. Uh, you've heard me say this before. I, I, I do enjoy shooting long range, but I like shooting long range at steel plates, uh, milk jugs filled with colored water, uh, those kind of things. I'm, I'm not big on shooting game at those extremely long ranges. To me, hunting comes down to spotting the animal and then getting as absolutely close as I can before pulling the trigger. That, to me, is the, is the joy. Uh, to me, shooting in long range, and if that's what you like to do, that's great. But be proficient. Know your equipment really, really well, and then have somebody with you so when you shoot that animal and it goes down, that when you walk at 800 yards to 1,000 yards where that animal is down, that you can actually find it because uh, I can tell you I'm a – I've done a lot of hunting, but I've also shot a few deer that were less than 200 yards away that I had a hard time finding because they were in tall grass or they – all of a sudden, the entire hillside looked exactly like I thought where that animal was. So if you're going to shoot long range, I'd highly suggest uh, for hunting that you have somebody with you that can mark that animal or you have some way to to designate exactly where that animal is. But again, to me, hunting means getting close. And that's what I want to do. So I generally sat in at 100 yards, but then I'll also shoot out to about 400 yards because I know there are opportunities and times when there are particular animals that I really want to take. I may not be able to get closer to no matter what, no matter how hard I try to to play the snake in the grass and crawl up there a little bit closer. I may have to take a shot or for some reason I screw up and I hit the animal a little bit farther back and it's not an immediate uh, uh, killing shot that where the animal runs off and I have an opportunity for another shot and I am first thing I do when I shoot with with a bolt action is immediately rack in another another shell and another cartridge and get right back on target and even if that animal's down I'm gonna st- I'm going to stay there and watch for a good solid minute before uh, I try to do anything else, before I try to make a move on that animal. If you want to, if I'm with you and you want to shake my hand or I want to shake your hand, you're going to have to wait a minute. Uh, too very often I've seen people hit an animal, the animal goes down, there's this huge celebration. And, and that to me is also a, a uh, kind of a pet peeve. You've taken an animal's life. Be respectful of that animal. Be respectful of the sport. Uh, be, be just be respectful. But beyond all that, I've seen some animals that were hit peripherally, and I'm talking about maybe a real high shoulder shot or somebody that shoots one in the neck and he doesn't sever the spinal cord. Uh, that animal kind of lays there for a while, and next thing you know, my God, that animal's up and running and gone, and you may never ever see him again. He, he may or may not die. Chances are it will. And the, the buzzard and the scavengers and those kind of things will reap 
the benefits of your harvest rather than you. So to me, when you shoot an animal, immediately reload. Don't be celebrating and, and carrying on. Keep an eye on that animal because if that animal moves, shoot him a second time or even a third time because I'd much rather lose, say, a pound of meat, which is about all that you would lose if you shot an animal a couple of times, even after you killed him on the first one, or you thought you'd kill him on the first one. First one. I'd rather do that than uh, than lose the entire animal. So uh, just just I'm just one of those old ranger things from years of hunting and years of hunting experience and guiding in those kind of things as well too. So. South Texas, those old bucks are big, and and their necks are swelled about right now, and they're walking around looking for does, and they're looking for anything that's going on in the neighborhood. Some of those bucks at this stage of the game, as they're starting to roam, I've told people, I was on a ranch down deep South Texas years ago, had somebody drop me off at the bottom of a pasture, and this pasture in this ranch was huge. And uh, there was a slight north wind blowing. I had them drop me off at the bottom, uh, meaning on the south end. No center had gotten out, and uh, I could start seeing real good. I spotted a buck coming toward me. Uh, nice buck, probably in the 150s or so, obviously mature. And he was walking pretty much in a straight line kind of toward me, and I just kind of waited for him to come by. And I thought, well, I'd seen him come from a long way. So I wonder how far that buck's going to go. I fell in behind that buck, and he really paid me no attention at all. And Essentially, he walked in a straight line going north. And the only time that he would stop is if he came by a, a scrape. He would visit another buck scrape uh, and leave some urine in it and uh, continue walking. I saw some other deer in the process of doing all this and, and probably a buck or two that I probably should have taken, but I was so enthused about picking this buck up and so enthralled to try to determine, you know, where's it going to go? Well, as it worked out, I walked behind this buck and this, this particular individual pasture was 12 miles long. Now that's a lot of acreage and you cover a lot of ground, but during the course of the day, this buck, he, he, he walked, did a slow walk and sometimes walked a little bit faster. Sometimes he walked a little bit, bit slower. But when I left this buck, I left him at the north fence line, which was 12 miles from where I'd started him. And he had been coming from, oh my gosh, at least a quarter to half a mile from where I'd first, when I first saw him. And I watched this buck crossing to the next pasture and I could kind of open grassy country and, and, uh, I could watch this buck probably for another half mile and then he disappeared over the horizon. So, you know, this, this buck is one of, was one of those or that, uh, just has a tendency to move. So where I'm going with all that is even though these guys have got trail camera pictures of some nice bucks, those bucks may or may not be there. Uh, but at the same time, there may also be several bucks coming through there that the only time we'll see them if we're fortunate enough to be there at the right time is when we do see them and uh and then they're gone and some of them may return to where they came from some may just stay there you know they're kind of like people you've heard me say that in the past some people live in, and die within a very very small area of, of where they're born others will leave and come back leave and come back leave and come back some of them just totally leave and you never know quite you know with deer where they fall in that category of those three or somewhere in between so uh, I know we're at that stage 
age right now, this 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 time of uh, when I'm going down, we'll be down there probably the the oh my gosh, like the. 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th. And that's right before those bucks really ought to be in the full rut. And, uh, again, that's kind of when you, you rattle up more bucks. You rattle them up during the rut, but you rattle up more bucks generally right before the rut really gets started. So hoping to rattle up a bunch of big bucks. They've got a couple of bucks on camera that I would dearly love to see. It's been several years now since, uh, I shot anything of size in South Texas or really even had the opportunity to hunt what I call the true brush country. So I am so excited about that particular hunt. And we finished with that one. I've got about a nine, 10 hour drive from the time I, I finished my hunt to get to the next one, which will be up on the Hargrove Ranch, uh, kind of south of Lubbock. And that, that'll be my mule deer hunt. I hunted there earlier this year and looking for a mature whitetail bucks and, and, I'll tell you what, it's been an interesting season, and, and I'll kind of recap the hunting season once we get past, uh, say, into January or February. But I'll also still be able to hunt at that point on the, the lease that I'm on out west of San Angelo because we are under the managed land permit. And I've still got about two or three bucks there that I can take and, and numerous does as well, too. And, and, of course, we'll be doing that a little bit later. But uh, toward the end of the hunting season, I'll try to recap and take some of the some of the trials and tribulations <laughs> of hunting mature whitetail. I've seen a lot of young bucks, but you know, the mature bucks are totally different. And this year they seem to be even more different if that's a possibility because it certainly seemed like it this year. I'm getting calls from old friends who are ranchers and hunters and going, what in the world is going on? We're just not seeing the mature bucks that you know we saw earlier on camera and you know what it what's this and what's that and what can I do? And I'm going, guys, I'm going through the same situations as you are. Some of them like things what's happening I can explain. And there are some things going on I simply can't explain. And they're totally dynamic, meaning they are ever evolving. So I got a feeling that's part of it. And, uh, you know, to me, that's also part of the, 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 the thrill and the, uh, what makes whitetail deer interesting. Again, you've heard me say, you think you got one figured out that he's going to teach you a brand new lesson. And that's kind of way what's going on here. So, you know, when we're talking about lessons, though, there are lessons that you can learn. And, and if you're interested in property, and, and a lot of us are, and whether we can afford it or not, is we at least like to think about buying some property. If you can, or if you have a property you're wanting to sell, particularly has anything to do with recreational property. Hayden Outdoors is the brand that sells land, and, and that's the, the truth. Those guys do an absolutely fantastic job, uh, and those guys, too, are, are serious hunters. So if, if you tell them what you're looking for, uh, again, the beauty of it is they will have pre-scouted whatever country they have that might be for sale or might be coming up for sale. And with that being the case, uh, they can give you a pretty good idea before you buy a property, whether it is going to be something that's going to work for you in terms of the uh, the animals that you want to take or produce and the animals that you, the number of people that you want to hunt or, uh, you know, if it maybe it's just for you and your family or maybe just even for you, they, they can tell you exactly what what's there in terms of 
populations. Now, I'm not saying exactly what's there in terms of individual animals, because even where we have trail cameras up on every corner, there's still lots of animals that don't get filmed. Uh, quite frankly, there there's always a few that are at the right place at the right time, or they don't they don't frequent the water holes where you got the camera set up. Or if you got a feed station, they don't go to those feed stations. And, and there's a fair number of those animals that are that way. But they can give you a really good idea as to what the potential of that property is too. And if you want to grow a bunch of whitetail bucks, they may go, uh, you know what? This is absolutely exactly what you're looking for. Or they may go also say, you know, I don't think that you can quite accomplish what you want to on this property, even though you think it's really pretty. You know, you may want to have to, uh, or you may want to take a serious look at, uh, you know, another piece of property and uh, kind of put this on the back burner until we can find the right one. And if you can't find anything else, if this is really what you want, you know, let's come back to it. But uh, you can get in touch with, with the, the local agent, if you will, in close to wherever you live or wherever you want to, may want to buy a property, and just by going to HaydenOutdoors.com. And uh, those guys will get you set up and help you and all those kind of things. So I want to come back uh, next week a little bit, and we'll talk a little bit more about, about Christmas. But um Christmas always to me was a time for being out of school when I was young, uh, having a break when I was in, in college to, to spend time hunting. Now, you spent a lot of time in South Texas, as I mentioned earlier, hunting with friends. And it was either between Christmas and New Year's when we could get down there. And then when my daughters came along, uh, got to the point where they were hunting, uh, we spent a lot of time between Christmas and New Year's. And they got to hunt some ranches that I managed particularly for management bucks and those kind of things. And then when my grandkids came along, oh, yeah. uh, Josh and Justin and Andrew and, and Jake and, and even Catherine, my da- granddaughter, uh, the Christmas and New Year's was always a time for years where we'd go to the FTW ranch and uh, they'd go through the hunter or the sportsman all-weather, all-terrain, marksmanship training, and also hunt in the mornings and the afternoon. And they shot does, and they shot management bucks, and had just an absolutely great time. And finally got to the point where my, the grandkids are now at the age to where they're they're married and, and they're getting married, and uh, they still all hunt. But unfortunately, our schedules are not such that I can put a hunt together where all of us can get out at the same time. So looking forward to to, to do a little bit more of that somewhere down the way. But Christmas was always a time to hunt, a time to spend around family and enjoy the campfire and tell stories around that campfire. And, and uh, hopefully that's something that you'll be able to do this Christmas season. And as I said, I just want to wish everybody the the, the most of most blessed. Don't forget the reason for Christmas. It's Christ. It's it's not for presents. Yeah, that's a part of it anymore. But uh, you know, the, the, don't forget the reason that we have Christmas to celebrate the birth of Christ. And and uh, 
and he needs to be a real important part of your lifetime. And then if he's not, then let me suggest that uh, life could get a whole lot easier <laughs> if he was. So, and sometimes more interesting as well too. But uh, I want to take this opportunity as I mentioned, wish everybody out there the very, very merriest of Christmases. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Christmas and talk a little bit more about how my hunt in South Texas went and probably even how my hunt for mule deer went up on the, uh, the Hargrove Ranch. So, Look forward to catching up with y'all around the campfire. You know, you can stay in touch with me with uh, Larry Weissoon at um, Facebook, my public figure page, which incidentally, we did a post back in November and uh, just of me rattling and it showed very little else. And for whatever reason, that thing went totally viral because our organic reach, because I do not buy anything there, was a little over 12 million. And we had like almost 7,500,000 views of the, of the rattling. So tells me there are a lot of folks out there worldwide who, who, uh, are interested in rattling, by golly. Uh, had very few negative comments, a few anti-hunters, which you're always going to have, anything having to do with the outdoors. But uh, for the most part, there were less than a handful of, of negative comments. And, and uh, so you can you can keep up with me there. I work with Brandon Houston there. And Brandon's really good about posting short videos that I send him. and, and uh, Or you can go to my personal page, Larry Weissoon, or go to uh, in my Instagram as well, too, Larry Weissoon, available there. And so, uh, and there's all kinds of ways to, to, to get in touch with me with the private messages and all that kind of thing too. So again, have a absolutely fabulous Merry Christmas. Look forward to catching everybody right back here around the campfire. Enjoy your time together. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 